The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Wednesday the 26th of July, I'm Ian McIntosh and today we're asking... Has Fabinho's move to Saudi Arabia broken down? This is one of the most bizarre elements to a transfer story that I've seen in many a year. Who is Manchester United target Rasmus Hoyland? He's really big. He's also absolutely rapid. And what is going on with Norway? Oh, they're going to need a bit of a miracle for anything to happen, but anything can happen. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Ian McIntosh. Well, we thought that Liverpool midfielder Fabinho's move to Saudi Arabia was all done and dusted. We may have thought wrong. The 29-year-old Brazilian international, who's been with the club since 2018, was all set to move to Al Itihad for £40 million or $52 million. But the Athletics' David Ornstein reported yesterday, the move is in jeopardy. David... What's happened and does it have anything to do with his two French bulldogs? (laughs) This is one of the most bizarre elements to a transfer story that I've seen in many a year. You may have seen earlier this week that rumours started circulating that there is a rule, a law in the kingdom that would not allow dogs of this description into the country. Yet... My understanding is that it is completely untrue and that it is not a factor in the Fabinho situation at all. And it is not the reason why his proposed move is in jeopardy. Now, I haven't got the information on exactly what the issue is, but I am assured it has nothing to do with his dogs. I am told that there is a determination, a commitment on all sides of this deal to still get it done. But right now, there is a blockage of sorts. And so that's where the jeopardy comes into it. There is uh, another factor in this. George Mendes, his representative, has a good relationship with Liverpool. He's got very close links to what's going on in Saudi Arabia, moved many players and staff there. And so you could say if anybody's going to be able to make it happen, it's him. But right now, there is still work to be done. If all parties can't agree terms, what happens then? Would Liverpool have him back? He's under contract for three more years until 2026. And that means that unless the move is resurrected later in the window or another possibility arises, then it's plausible, I guess, that he would stay and continue his Liverpool career. Nobody doubts his commitment and professionalism or Liverpool's love of him, but this was an opportunity that arose and I wouldn't rule out the deal still going through. But if it doesn't, then they'll have to try and find another move, re-energise this at some point or reintegrate him into the, the plans as Liverpool look to rebuild their midfield for the future. I suppose in light of this, it's maybe not such a bad thing that Liverpool's bid of £37 million for Southampton's Romeo Lavia has been rejected. What happened there? Southampton are looking for a fee in the region of £50 million. He's 19 years old, he's under contract, he's a Belgium international. The personal terms won't be a problem on this one. The bigger question will be whether Liverpool or any other club 
managed to agree a fee with Southampton and they seem to perceive the valuation as being quite high. Don't forget that Manchester City have a role to play in this. I think there's a buyback clause that kicks in in 2024, but more pertinently, they're entitled to 20% of the profit from any sale, having sold Lavia to Southampton previously. And this was a condition that was put in that deal. And if he does go for, say, £50 million, then 20% of the profit on top of what Southampton signed him for will go back to Manchester City. And it could essentially see one of Manchester City's rivals helping fund their transfer kitty. So that's an interesting element to all of this too. I suppose we are just at the beginning of the Romeo-Lavia saga and we're going to hear a lot more on it in the days and weeks ahead. Manchester United are reported to have agreed personal terms with Atalanta striker Rasmus Hoyland, but they're still haggling over a transfer fee. United don't want to spend more than £60 million, or $77 million. The Italian club are holding out for £85 million, or £109 million. This is a big decision for United. They only scored 58 goals last season, the lowest in the top six. So who is he? The Athletics' Manchester United correspondent Carl Anker spoke to us from a small calf near Paddington Station. Carl, Hoyland is big and blonde and Nordic. And he absolutely should not be compared to Erlen Haaland because if you compare any young striker to Erlen Haaland, you're going to get a little bit of a disappointment. The interesting thing about him is, one, he's really big, massive. He's also absolutely rapid. He's a very, very, very good player on the transition. So I think that's also an attraction for Eric Ten Hag because he's just recently said in New York, I believe, that he wants Manchester United to be the best transitional team in the world. And at the moment, Hoyland looks exceptional when it comes to attacking the space. He scored nine goals for Atalanta last season, which is okay, but it's not Harry Kane levels of scoring, is it? What, what have United seen in him? If Eric Ten Hag had a limited amount of money, he probably wouldn't be looking at Hoyland. He'd probably be knocking on Daniel Levy's door and saying how much for Harry Kane or perhaps even going to Victor Oshman and saying how much for him as well. Hoyland is one of the better strikers in European football at this price point of around 50 to 70 million. And at 50 to 70 million, any striker you go out and buy comes with some form of risk. Strikers aren't cheap anymore, so you're either going to try and get someone who's very, very young and you have to build extra bits to their game and hope they can grow into the strike you want, or you get someone who's perhaps towards the tail in their career. So Ten Hag going for Hoyland is him, well, it sounds as if he's making a gamble and trying to get a very young striker who's going to you know, build out his game eventually and could be a focal point for Manchester United's attack for the next three to five to maybe seven years. That's good. And United did say farewell to a forward yesterday. Anthony Alanga leaves in a £15 million, that's $19.2 million, move to Nottingham Forest. Will he be remembered fondly? He was described once as a refreshingly boring football player. He spends a lot of time in the gym. And I think you can see that every time he returns from an international break where he seems to add an extra £10 worth of muscle. Recent photographs of him in the holiday of Dubai. He's got what I can only really describe as an eight-pack. He's good at the few things he's good at, which is tends to be running in behind, being a counter-attacking threat. But I think there was always questions as to whether or not he could add parts to his game to become a Manchester United player. Alanga will be well remembered for that fantastic chart that was started by Andy Mitten and Andy Mitten's friends. So you should check out some episodes of Talk of the Devils podcast from The Athletic about the origins there. Uh, and he also you know, scored a very, very fun goal 
in what was probably one of Manchester United's worst games of the season at Atletico Madrid. Uh, so yes, Alanga, a good player at a bad time who perhaps was not Manchester United quality, but will definitely do good things at Nottingham Forest this season. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. The Women's World Cup is only six days old, but we're already on the brink of our first shock. Former winners Norway were held by Switzerland yesterday, and that's after their opening day defeat to New Zealand. Now, before the tournament began, you might have thought, no matter, I'm sure they'll beat the Philippines. But the Philippines just beat New Zealand, and that means anything less than a win could dump Norway out in the group stages. And if that's not bad enough... Well, let's go to the host of the Athletic Women's World Cup podcast, Michelle Owen, to find out more. Michelle, England put eight past them last summer. Now they're circling the drain in the World Cup. What has happened to Norway? Circling the drain. I love that phrase. Uh, What has happened to Norway, really, since they were brilliant in the 90s, I think is what a lot of people have asked. Uh, They won the World Cup in 1995. They've been European champions. They won gold at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. But since then, it's just been a steady decline. They've got individually brilliant players, but they just don't click. They've got a manager who's their uh, record appearance maker, Egerisa, but she just can't get them to gel. And more than that, the players don't seem happy. Uh, Caroline Graham Hansen, arguably one of their best players, uh, didn't feature until coming on as a sub today. She didn't make the starting lineup. And then afterwards, she started to air her dirty laundry just a little bit. Uh, she said, I really feel like I've been stepping up for a whole year, but she didn't really elaborate. So we're sort of waiting to hear more on what's going on behind the scenes because obviously we don't see everything but Norway are definitely in danger of an early exit. And we're also waiting for news on Arda Hegerberg who pulled out just before kickoff. Uh, any update on her condition? This literally was moments before kickoff. We didn't really know what happened. There were some people saying she was unwell. Then someone said about bruising on her groin but later on Hegerberg tweeted she felt discomfort in the sprints during the warm-ups which is why she didn't start. So we don't know any more than that. Literally a last minute thing but for context uh, she's a former Ballon d'Or winner for Norway. She scored 43 goals in 76 games so pretty much their best player and that probably did throw them a little bit ahead of kickoff but they just did not look convincing at all today. Well, if you want to keep up to date on that, make sure you're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Michelle and the rest of the team. It's out every day there's football. Right, time for your telly. Women's World Cup first and uh, let's be honest, you're probably too late for Japan, Costa Rica. That was 6am. But hey, you might make Spain versus Zambia. That's 8.30am in the UK. Canada versus Republic of Ireland, though, that's far more achievable. That's 1pm or 8am on the East Coast. Lots of big men's friendlies tonight, if you can stay up late enough British listeners. The two best-run clubs in England, Brentford and Brighton, play at 10.30 in the UK on Sky Sports, followed by Fulham and Aston Villa at midnight. Newcastle play Chelsea at 1.15am. Real Madrid are up against Man United at 1.30am. And then there's Arsenal-Barcelona at 3.30am. You want me to do the East Coast maths? It's fresh football at 5.30, 7, 8.15, 8.30 and 10.30pm. Oh, and there's a whole load of Leaders' Cup group stage games on Apple America. They all kick off at 7.30pm, so uh, that's plenty to be getting on with. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Ian McIntosh. Your producer was Abby Patterson and executive producer was... Ah, that was me too. Ruben Pinder will make his debut tomorrow, so make sure you subscribe. And if you've got the time, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. See you tomorrow. 
The Athletic.